With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Analyzing Everton, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Royal Blue Channel. Hopefully you're getting used to the format by now, but for any newbies, I'm David Hughes and I am, as ever, joined by Mr. Josh Williams. Josh, I know the question, oh, sorry, I know the answer to the question, but how are you, mate? Good, mate, as always. Yeah, as always. Glad to be here. Yeah, as always. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, we'll uh, we'll crack on with the show. As always. Um, as always. <laughs> um, Josh, we get to talk about an Everton win today. We do, yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll look back on Chelsea, which was was back on Saturday, which already seems a long time ago, but uh, it was a great win for Everton. Um, so we'll delve into that a little bit. We'll talk about the the manager situation. Obviously, it's an ever changing landscape, and the latest seems to be that and Mr. <laughs> uh, Carlo Ancelotti is the perceived favourite. Um, so we'll have a chat about him because he's certainly splitting the fan base a little bit. Um, and then we'll look ahead to another big game on the weekend, which is Manchester United at Old Trafford. Um, they're on the back of two really good results. So we'll, we'll have a look at United generally and then gauge how we think Evan will do. Um, but Josh, ahead of the uh, the Chelsea game, obviously Evan confirmed that Duncan Ferguson, a club legend, was put in as interim manager. Um that was a perfect result, really, for them, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was a good start. Uh, I think he's, he's he's kind of shown, hasn't he, since that he's not particularly interested in the long term. Thankfully, but I think, <laughs> but I think, you know, from a short term perspective, he, I suppose, he was what the club needed. He's certainly what the supporters need, mm. and uh, it was good to see him on the touchline. Good to see the the way Everton played because it, I think it, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think. It was kind of a back to basics approach, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I um, I really liked in the build up that he he talked a lot um, about the things that you really wanted to see in the Everton side that hasn't been there a lot this season, and you certain terminology which really played up to the psychological aspects of the game. He talked a lot about commitments, you know, passion, courage, playing for the team, and. I think, you know, when you scratch under the surface, that was some wise words and specific terminology that he was using to send a message to the players. And there was certainly a lot of a lot of it there, and the fans got on board with it. Um, and you know that that side of things. I know obviously we do a lot of number crunching, and you know we we look at data and things, but we also appreciate how big those factors are in in the game as well, don't we? Yeah, um, and yeah. I think he got that all right before the game. Yeah, I mean, wh- when you reel off those those words, it sounds a little bit your da, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it's it it can just be translated really into 
you know, your application on the mm. pitch. Yeah. How you apply yourself on the pitch. And if you apply yourself in a positive, aggressive way, mm. most, uh, uh, providing you're relatively organised, most opposing teams are going to struggle to to play their own game. Yeah. Um, and I definitely think, you know, on Saturday, Chelsea did struggle. Um, tactically, he set up in it a 4-4-2 formation, um, which was another formation change for Everton. Um and it goes back to what you've just touched on there about it, this back to basics philosophy. Um but it seems to work quite well, didn't it? Yeah, I mean when I say back to basics, it was back to basics with a degree of logic. Mm. It wasn't just a case of we're gonna play four four two because I like four four two. It was it was, you know, relatively suited to the players at its disposal. Mm. Um, you know, obviously Everton have got full backs that are inclined to overlap. They've got two wide men who are, you know, inclined to offer a goal threat, so they yeah. cut inside. It was almost like a 4-2-2-2 two, two, two yeah. at, at certain times. Mm. And they've got two, you know, fairly physical strikers who can hold the ball up and that sort of thing. Two fairly limited central midfielders who can just basically do a job. Yeah. Um. So it was, it was just a, a sensible, logical approach for me. Yeah, it was... Uh it made it certainly made them very very compact in the game. Um, you know there was an obvious lack of willingness to retain the ball. Haven't finished the game with just thirty percent possession. Um, had a little bit look further into that, and it was actually their fewest passes per possession this season, with an average of just over two. Which really touches on the nature of just how direct he wanted to play and how little he kind of wanted to get caught playing the ball, but. Um, it meant it was just difficult for Chelsea. You know, Chelsea couldn't play their natural game through through their their rigid formation. And then when they got the ball, they they were going direct. Obviously, Calvert Lewin was doing a lot of good work up top. Um, that as a side, they seemed to be pressing in the right moments. Um, and I think that just all all worked out perfectly. You know, it wasn't a lucky win. I thought Chelsea actually played fairly well on the day, but Everton still won the XG. According to White Scouts, it was a uh, 1.55 to 0.92. Obviously, there's different metrics out there, but it shows that Everton were, were the better side deploying these tactics. Yeah, I think the um, the expected goals provided that I checked had Everton as 1.7 and Chelsea as 1.1. Yeah. So most of them had Everton with the win by you know by a couple of couple of quality shots, I suppose. So I'd, I'd say Everton did enough to to win, and they, they certainly benefited for the second two goals from Chelsea mistakes, if you like. Mm. Um, Chelsea defenders and, and the goalkeeper not being able to get themselves out of little little situations, but I think that's provoked. I yeah. think that stemmed from Everton's willingness to to be in the face, to be aggressive. Um. And I think just that that possession game that you mentioned there with thirty percent possession. I think again, you know, we've we've spoke a couple of week, a couple of times about uh, Silver maybe trying to play a certain game and not having the players that are suitable. Mm. I think Everton just played a game that was suited to to, to what they've got. They've yeah. got defenders that can soak pressure. They've got an, a fairly aggressive team. They've got relatively quick players on the break. Um, wire players that are likely to cut inside, wing backs that uh, full backs that want to want to advance, mm. and that sort of thing. And 
I think it, it was just playing to your strengths, just you know that that age old concept of just playing, doing what you're good at, mm. and masking your weaknesses at the same time. Yeah, I agree. I, I said after the game, put a tweet out, which some people may have seen. It was basically just saying how um, you know this is this is really how how Everton performed best and how Goodison comes alive. It's it's all about you know aggressive, direct play and you know getting in people's faces. And we talked about it, didn't we, on one of the very first episodes? You were saying about how similar to Liverpool, Everton's quite you know we're all from this industrious background and it's. It thrives on that sort of high tempo, intense sort of football, and yeah. it doesn't really enjoy the continental style where it's about passing it about, you know, very, very laboured almost. Um, I know you're going to jump in here, but just so the point I was trying to make was, you know, only to, only to be clear. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah because I don't want to give the wrong picture, but it just. Everton just seems to in, in, enjoy being in that environment. And I'm not talking about a Sean Dice type situation here, but just mm. getting the crowd going, you know, picking and choosing when to press. I thought he did that really well. And it was just a really Everton performance for me. Yeah. I think I said that last week when we were identifying, you know, what Everton are as a club, basically, what Everton would be if you were to see Everton perform on the pitch, mm. sort of thing. And, uh, you know, for me, it, it is. You know, and it uh, should be an intense team, aggressive, assertive, unwilling to just lie down. Mm. Um, you know, v- v- playing very forwards very quickly rather than building mo- slow moves into mm. relief for long passing sequences and things like that. And it, it, when you say direct as well, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, age old English football direct whereby the yeah. ball's in the air. Oof. It, 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 yeah, one. Um, it, it it can be direct on the floor, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like a, a, a club that comes to mind is are the Red Bull clubs. Mm. The Red Bull clubs are inclined to play direct football, but the ball stays on the floor, and it, it's just it's vertical passes constantly. You, yeah. you don't really go sideways, you don't really go backwards. Mm. They'd rather go try and go forwards. If they fail, fine. The the opposing team can have the ball, and we'll wait for your next mistake to break on you again. You mean you're, yeah, you're spot on. This is why I, I was getting a little bit frustrated with some replies I got to the tweets because people were saying, you know, that kind of aggressive football, direct football to nineties football, you know, the games change, you won't be successful. Well, that's a lie. You can be, but as you've just said, I'm not talking about route one and going in and crunching players. That that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what you're saying there, you know, vertical passing when you get the ball, moving forward with it fast, not just trying to retain and recycle, you know, really go, and when I say aggressive, you know, pressing in the right moments, chasing balls down, these type of things. Um, yeah. And that's just... I, I'm just going to say then, I, I would label it almost as, it, it's it's Merseyside football. Yeah, if you know I, what I mean. totally, yeah. Like Liverpool, I would describe Liverpool comfortably as direct. Yeah. And, they win an awful lot of matches and it's not 90s football when you watch them. It's just a case of the tempo is high. You get the ball forward quickly. No messing about. That sort of thing. The two examples I used to someone in particular who replied, said you can't win games doing that. And I said, look who's leading the Premier League and look who's leading the Bundesliga. You know, Munch and Gladbach are very similar as well in yeah. this, this direct sense that they play. And... Um, I said that. That's what I, I. I am not interested in Everton trying to win the possession battles, or you know, trying to have the highest average possession over the course of a season. It's just about what they do with it, and 
I think the way the squad is at the moment, certainly they benefit more from a direct game. Um, I mean, even on even on Saturday, they they had seven shots on target. Bear in mind playing Chelsea, seven shots on target, um, and they've only managed more twice this season. And one was against Lincoln City in the League Cup, and the other was West Ham, who of course have got issues at the moment. Um, that so, was a great performance, though. Yeah, actually thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, so they are capable of it. Um, you know, I suppose I, just, I do want to briefly touch on the defensive side of things because. You know, to, to limit Chelsea, who have a blistering attack to like 0.9 in terms of XG and just one goal, which in terms of the, the goal itself was a bit of a... I, I don't want to say fluke goal, but it was... They don't go in. Yeah, it, it, there's a reason why he doesn't score many of them. Yeah, th- those are the types of shots that would get a low expected goals value. Yeah. It, that shot maybe had, this is a guess, but between 0.1 and 0.4, certainly no higher than that. Sorry, point. Zero four and point one. Well, let's, let's see if we can find the. Um, I think those shots are scored roughly one percent to four percent of the time, sort of thing. Yeah. So if you can see one of those, you're, you're almost welcoming those shots because they don't tend to go in. We, yeah. we actually bigged Pickford up last week from outside the box. I yeah. mean, fair play to Kovacic because it is bang in the corner. Yeah, it's a difficult one. No, to it's save, a good strike. By the way, just just on that, he had a he had a really good game actually. Yeah, he's a good uh, player, yeah. Yeah. But, you yeah, know, if you, if you concede that goal, you can't have too much of an issue with the overall defensive performance, considering Chelsea clearly haven't scored a clear-cut chance, they haven't scored a chance from inside the box. Mm. It's been one that's difficult to score. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I can't seem to find the XG value of the strike, um, which is a nightmare, because it'd be interesting to see what it actually was. Um, but... Yeah, just I'll, I'll keep having a look, but in the meantime, there's a particular performance of one player, and there was a few standout candidates, but there's one player in the day who thought, who I thought was fantastic, and it was it was kind of um, a testament to the level that he the level of play he's becoming, and that was Calvert Lewin. Um, you know, to play that kind of direct style that we've been talking about, you need someone who can. Who's good off the ball? Who makes you know runs in behind, runs on the flank, can hold it up. And I thought Calvert Lewin was fantastic at that. And do you think he's finally becoming a a top Premier League striker? Just quickly on that goal. Oh yeah, come on. Uh, no point, no two so expected that, goals. So that means in a hundred shots, that would be expected to go in twice. twice yeah. So Which, just to give you an idea how much of a well, I think we can use that same fluke the goal was. Yeah, I mean, you'd take that. You'd take yeah. those odds, wouldn't you? You'd probably welcome shots from that distance, wouldn't you? It just so happened he's caught this one sweet. But if you restrict the sides to that, then you can be happy. Yeah. Uh, on Calvert-Lewin. Yeah, I mean, I, I am I am gradually becoming a fan of this lad. I think he's he's a nightmare to face from a defensive perspective. Mm. Um, You know, physically built. He's fast. He's good in the air. Um perhaps needs to work on his first touch here and there. Mm. And I, I, I don't really like saying this, but he maybe needs to be a bit more of a threat in terms of finishing chances better and, yeah. and, and things like that and getting on the end of chances, actually getting shots and getting chances. Mm. I wouldn't say that if he had players around him that were doing it. Mm. Say, for example, if he was in the team that had really attacking wide forwards mm. who were inclined to chip in goals, yeah. then the onus would be on him less 
to find the net. But because Everton haven't really got that, there's an emphasis placed on his shoulders to he needs to start scoring for the sort of thing. So if Everton want to go and sign more attacking players that are inclined to score from other areas, then he'll feel that pressure less and he'll be able to do the whole team thing. Yeah. But as it stands at the minute, because of Everton's recruitments and things like that, the, the, the players in the squad, I, th- I just think he needs to score a bit more, which, again, sounds really simplistic and really cliche, considering he's a striker, he should score more, but they just haven't got haven't got goals running through the team. And so, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because the because the, the level of um, squad Everton have got and position where they are in that, you know the, the hierarchy in the division. You know they are more reliant on these on on, on players like Calvert Lewin to not just score the goals you'd expect, but overperform really. Um, you know you need someone like a a Vardy esque level in terms of who can score that many goals to really catapult a side who who aren't the best in the division. Try and catapult them to overperform and finish in a higher position. Um, yeah, I mean, just just an example on what I've just said there, a player that just came to mind is Benzema. He, over the course of a number of years, hasn't scored that many and is is known for not taking that many shots mm-hmm. considering he's a striker for Real Madrid. But because of what he was doing was done to facilitate Cristiano Ronaldo next to him, yeah, it was fine, it worked. Mm-hmm. The, team, the system was functional, the team was functional, the team won matches, fine. Because Calvert Lewin hasn't got that play with him, with the exception of Richarlison, maybe mm. just a bit more emphasis on the goal scoring. I think. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I agree with all that, and that's certainly been the case. What I will say is, I've got some numbers to back it up. This season, I think we're just seeing a a better version of Calvert Lewin, just purely from the um, the goal side of things. So he doesn't take a lot of shots for. For the striker, really, he, he averages just over two per game, or it's just over two per ninety, I should say, which it isn't a lot, really, as a first striker. You, you should normally see a bit more, but what I will say is I've had a look at the shot locations, and that they're all from decent, uh, decent places on the pitch. You know, they're not hitting hopes from distance, um, which is probably a factor as to why just under fifty percent of them end up on target. Um, Right now, this season, he's averaging 0.6 goals per 90, which, again, is is decent. It's a decent return, isn't it? It is, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, and his XG per 90 is 0.45. So he's actually outperforming his XG, which means, in basic terms, he's scoring more goals than would be expected from the average striker, given the chances he's had. So he, there isn't... An element of old performance there, and and the saintly improvements. Yeah, don't, the only thing I'd say on that is I, I had to look at Wesley during the week for Aston Villa, mm. and he's been expected to score something like four point seven, and he scored four, so there's not that much of a difference in it. Mm. But I th- I said the overall problem though is that his xG so far is only four point seven anyway. So, so that, the xG is so, low. So yeah. even if he's yeah, so I finishing is, so Wesley's finishing isn't that bad, but he's just not getting that many chances. But and then I, th- I think Calvert Lewin taking around two shots. Per yeah. ma- I don't know, but then maybe that's a thing for once again, like that's an Everton squad issue that maybe he's taking the brunt of the blame for. But in reality, this the evidence suggests that he's doing what he can with what he has. Maybe it's the emphasis yeah. is on everyone around him to create a few more chances. Yeah, no, I definitely agree there. I yeah. mean. 
I get from a Liverpool angle, you know, Firmino only ever seems to receive criticism when the team isn't scoring. Mm. Um, and that, that's that's been the case for for a number of years. He doesn't receive criticism often because we you know we score a fair amount, but whenever we don't, you look at Firmino and think he's, he should start scoring. So, as I said, if the if the Everton system was functional, if the team was winning as a whole, if mm. the team was scoring, it'd be less of to be less of a spotlight on Carvalho. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But uh, as I said, those overall game is quite complete. Yeah, he's this is English homegrown. Yeah, he's actually I think he's underrated in these aspects. I think he, uh, I think it's, he, he presses well. He uh, he holds up the ball well. He's almost unrivaled uh, in terms of like aerial duels against defenders. Yeah, he's think. a handful. Is, it, yeah. is how I describe him. I think there's not many there. There's not many players out there. At any level, who competes as well as Calvert Lewin does in the air, um, so he's he's definitely an asset. And I think it can be put to bed about this this notion of maybe he's not good enough at this level. He definitely is, but there's still work to be done. But let's forget, like he's, he's still under twenty three, loads of progression to be made. So um, it's nice to see him doing well and getting rewarded with two goals from a good performance. Um, so in all, a good win, um, a much needed one. Climbed up the climbed up to the relegation zone with that one. <laughs> um, obviously, away from the on the pitch stuff, um, Everton are still technically, despite Ferguson's heroics, <laughs> without a, without a full time manager at the time of recording. At the time of recording, yeah. <laughs> um, we know we'll, Ferguson will be in there till Sunday, but we don't know what's going to happen after that. Um, and this week. In the uh, Champions League, Napoli secured their place in the last 16 with a 4-0 victory, but then proceeded to sack manager Carlo Ancelotti, who is now a firm favourite to take the Everton job. Um, Josh, what's your general thoughts on Everton and Ancelotti? Um, I can completely understand the blues out there that, you know, are inclined to get a bit hyped on this sort of thing and excited about it and and things like that because he's a manager with status. He's a manager who certainly has the perk of he should be able to provide an aura in terms of enticing good players to the club sort of thing. I mm. want to play under Angelosi sort of thing. Mm. Uh, one European Cups and things like that. But I think the current job at Everton isn't suited to what Angelosi will bring. I think Ancelotti for me is the man that you bring in when the house is built. Mm. Um, and Everton are still firmly building the house. Um, still laying the foundations, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think he I think he tends to lack intensity, which is not a good thing at all, mm. because I think Everton's supporters in particular relate to football that is intense. Mm. And I think... He lacks a bit of that, but, but even behind the scenes in, in the whole training, training and things like that. You know, I'm aware of when when he got appointed by Bayern Munich to take over from Pep Guardiola, the Bayern players really felt the drop mm. from Pep. I mean, Pep's intense, so it's probably <laughs> it's worth throwing that in there. But <laughs> if you're going to drop from Pep Guardiola to Ancelotti, most would, would expect that to be seamless, but the Bayern players certainly felt it in terms of training. Mm. Which isn't a good thing, as I said. Um, but I, ju- I just think, I think Everton need a, an intense, driven, hungry coach who's gonna, who's aspiring for the same things 
that Everton are as a club, if you, if you understand. Yeah, totally, yeah. No, so <clears throat> this is a bit of a double-edged sword for me. So I'll, I'll initially touch on your point, Josh, because I totally agree with it. And I've said two weeks ago, um, I personally would have not wanted Ancelotti. Um, I agree with everything Josh has said. I think, listen, he's, a, he's an all-around, mild-mannered, likeable guy. You know, he's he's proved he is an astute coach with a phenomenal football CV, you know, three-time Champions League winner, multiple domestic leagues. On paper, he's fantastic. Um, but I have to agree with Josh. I think there's... There's issues at Everton at the moment where they need a coach to come in who is in for the long haul, um, you know, try and build a legacy, but not necessarily a legacy and just amassing a ton of trophies from the outset. Need to build the brand, lay the foundations, recruit the players they want, all within his playing style. Um, can, I, can I just say, you, you said there that he's um, an, an elite coach. Would you not label him as an elite manager and the coaching aspects of the game? He's a bit less inclined to focus on. Yeah. Because I think he's... I mean, he's got a book, hasn't he? I think it's called Quiet Leadership or something mm. like that. I think he's inclined to come in and just be almost like a an overseer. Do yeah. you see what I mean? Yeah, that was, that was probably lazy terminology by me there. Yeah, it's... What, yeah, I suppose he, he he's not he, he's not someone. In, in, you want to talk about the difference between Pep? You know, Pep's on the training ground drilling. You know, wh- yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'd label Pep where, as a head coach. Yeah, whereas yeah, Ancelotti's maybe overseeing. Um, but listen, we still can't take what he's done away from no. him. He's he's still being phenomenal. But um, we'll come back to him in a second. Um, but yeah, just as I said, Everton should really what Everton should be doing now is find discovering the brand. You know bringing in a manager who goes with that brand, he should be then spending the next season or two recruiting the players and implementing the playing style to fit that. And then from there, Everton should start looking to be competitive and win things. Yeah. That's I, the perfect plan. Certainly, yeah, definitely. But, <laughs> <laughs> and that was that, uh, you could tell the boat was coming. I have no faith in the current... Um, regime regime that they <laughs> are aware of how that works it's become apparent to me and many others I think that um, this current regime can't see what we're seeing yeah. <laughs> or they don't have the same ideas And do you think Brandt can or do you think he's because from my perspective an outsider's perspective Brandt looks as though rather than being the man to come in and lead the football side mm. of the club He's instead being used as an advisor hmm. to Ken Wright and Mashiri, yeah. which is not what his role is supposed to be. No, um, is is input for me, and it's a, it, obviously we're not privy to the conversations, are we? We don't know what's getting said behind closed doors, so it's all guesswork. But from an outsider looking in, he should be what Josh says, and for me, he's he's either not or he's being ignored and. From what I can gather, looking at Mashiri, it's probably the latter. I think Mashiri's very Mashiri, which I understand he invests a lot of money into the club, but he wants to be a part of the club as well. He wants he wants to oversee decisions. He wants to he wants to play an active role in in the football club and how it's run. Which, in my opinion, is a recipe for disaster. Really, yeah, um, yeah, I'd agree on that. 
Uh, so going back to the man- manager situation, I look at it and I think Everton were on the cusp of at least trying to recruit Pereira from the Chinese Super League, which I couldn't find a single positive about that re- about that recruitment. I, I just I couldn't I I couldn't I, I looked into him, looked into his side, and yet the you know the underlying numbers look good. They they won the title, but it's the Chinese Super League. Yeah, how yeah, much yeah. can you how much can you really gain from from that? Um, he seems an explosive character, not someone you really want to be manager your side. Um, I just think on Ancelotti, I think he's the man to introduce once you're absolutely ready to win, hmm. like Spurs, hmm. whereby Spurs have reached a point with the squad having you know experienced Pochettino for a couple of years. Mm. That squad is now old enough and mature enough and stuff like that to actually win right now if it's possible. So you get Mourinho in. I think Ancelotti's that kind of manager. You get him in when the squad's built, mm. Everton's complete, they're ready to win immediately. And Everton have got a rebuild on. They're not ready to win right now. And when I say win, I mean I mean, you know, win at the business yeah, end yeah, and yeah, yeah. qualify for the Champions League and you know, push for compete at the top, basically. Yeah, compete at the top, sort of thing. Yeah, and are I think. We, go on. I was going to say, are we see? Is there a projected version of this move already in the Premier League? In this, in the sense of uh, Pellegrini and West Ham. Um, although, although Pellegrini yeah. isn't as successful, Pellegrini comes under that same bracket. It, yeah, for me. it's it's that it's that employing a name. Yeah, when you don't actually, I would love to to. to, to you know, grasp what the reasoning is from Everton's board. Why are you appointing Ancelotti? Mm. I'd love to know why, and I'd I'd love to ask them like, what 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 style of play are you expecting? Mm. What what does my, what does Ancelotti coach in terms? Because I, I don't think to know. If I'm totally honest, has he has he worked with the director of football? Uh, I'm Be- not entirely sure on that one because I don't know if the top of my head and I, a few clubs. I checked. He, he hadn't. My, my assumption would be when you've played, when you've coached the the um, the elite cl- club clubs that he has, um, he will at some point encounter directors of football. But I don't know if he has. So again, you're like, you know, do, is that relationship going to work as well? Mm. It's beyond the name. I can't really see why. Yeah, it just it, it it goes beyond. We've reached a point in football where it it should go beyond just employing a good manager or just employing a manager with a great CV mm. and, and look at where he's won and mm. things like that because he needs to ultimately be suited. He needs to be suitable. Mm. Everton at a club, for me, I, again, very, very intense club with and that, that has to be personified by the players and it has to be represented accurately on the pitch. Mm. And I think I'm not I'm not slating Ancelotti's work by any means, but I'm just not sure he entirely fits that fits that bill. Hmm. Ancelotti's quite quite strategic, uh, very very tactical. I'm not sure there's a specific identity to his teams. Hmm. Um, when he went to Bayern, took over from Pep, and one of the very first things he said was, "I don't want to change much. I just want to continue Pep's work." He said exactly the same when he went to Napoli and hmm. took over from Sarri. He makes subtle adjustments positionally and things like that. Like he changed Napoli to a four four two rather than a four three three. But beyond that, he 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 likes to come in when when things have 
I've done well established and things away. Yeah, and yeah. things are settled and he'll make subtle adjustments that are often very good adjustments, but Everton he's gonna he's gonna require more than that. He's gonna have to start from scratch at Everton. Mm, I agree. Well, <coughs> I suppose you touched on him being quite uh, quite a tactical <laughs> manager. It, uh, maybe for people who I assume everybody who's listening they'll they'll know um, know the name but they might not know the fundamentals of, of the way he coaches so uh, I've got a piece coming out on the Echo uh, probably today actually so by the time you listen it might already be out um, I was basically just running around, running down the fundamentals of, of his tactics um, so yeah it might be at D.A. Hughes underscore or just go on the Echo website but to give a very quick overview um, I think you actually already touched on this Josh he doesn't really tend to focus on one particular style of play um, and he'll often adjust his tactics really depending on the opposition um, which I don't mind I actually quite like fluidity in a, in a coach but um, I, d- I don't mind that providing it's it comes alongside yeah, an so, identity. Yeah, I was just about to say, plan. so as long as there's a plan A in place, you don't mind if the, an ability to revert to a plan B. But yeah. right now, it's probably fair to say I haven't, I haven't really got a plan A. Um, but yeah, I mean... These, I was going to say, he was weird that Everton targeted Unai Emery as well, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. And he's very similar in that, in that he's in that mould in terms of his actual brand of football. You wouldn't be able to to strictly nail it mm. but he makes constant changes from match to match um, variety of formations plenty of half time changes and things mm. like that and I yeah. think Everton needs to I mean I'm not, I don't think they will but I, I think the hierarchy needs to move away from from chasing CVs and, and things like that and he needs to instead we, we keep saying this they need to pick, pick out the identity of a, of a manager, what he's coaching, and whether that suits Everton as a club. Yeah. Um. But I completely take your point in terms of it doesn't look like they're going to do that. If you're going to go against that, Ancelotti's probably one of the better options that you can get wrong. If as mad as that sounds, if you see. No, see yeah, I do. I'm, I'm glad you segued that in. To be honest, because yeah, um, I said off off the show before we come in. I I basically said, you know. Given that we know we now know what we know about Everton's board, I'd probably be on board with Ancelotti because he's he's the best option. And when they're talking about bringing the likes of Pereira or maybe even Moyes back, I think he's probably the best the best option out there. If you're going to look short term again, I said it's not ideal for every reason we've just stated. But um, do you think it's fair to paint him as the best worst option? Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, mad. I think that is the the See, best title you could give it. Yeah, yeah, he is the best worst option. He's got a lot of things in his favour. Um, we've already touched on the negatives. In fact, we we'll, we will focus on the positives because there's a good chance he might end up being Everton's manager in a couple of weeks, and we'll I'll be trying to get behind it then. So, um, yeah, he tends to rely predominantly on a four four two, and he's used the same in upwards of seventy percent of his uh, matches in charge. Mm. Looks to build attacks down the flanks. Um, normally have one wing back supporting, um, whilst the other will sit back. I assume in, in Everton that would be Luca Dean, um, and it tends to resemble, resemble something like a three-five-two when they're in possession. Um, but you know, this season was a bit strange. Obviously, they had poor form, and the when he when he's left them, the seventh in Syria. Um, so although they 
qualified for the last 16 Champions League, the the way off the top four, and that's probably been one of the reasons he's he's gone. Um, prior to the win in midweek, he he went nine games without a victory. Um, but last season, the they, had, they did tend to dominate a lot of the key areas on the pitch. You know, they were they enjoyed the second highest ball possession average, um, scored the second highest number of goals, uh, the second highest xG in the division. They had the most shots and they had the second lowest xG against. So, I mean, they were on the whole a, a rather dominant side. This season, things went a little bit wrong, but there's a there's a good piece if you want to read up on it um, by Gabriel Marcotti on ESPN talking about why he was sacked basically and there's a lot of variables away from the pitch that have impacted um what's gone on at Napoli you know there was there was issues with players um mutiny was the term uh, I believe like in some parts yeah yeah a little bit surprising considering the whole you know the quiet nature of Ancelotti mm-hmm. I suppose quite weird that uh so what I could gather about this story was that he um they, they weren't happy with recent results, the owner, and he wanted the coaching staff and the players to remain at the training complex for the week of like intense training. <laughs> um, to which he he and his coaching staff did do, but the players refused to do so. So that's where the disciplinaries come in. But I think the um, the owner held Ancelotti accountable for basically not forcing his players to, that to, sounds like to stay. That sounds like a crazy situation. Yeah, it does, yeah. But you can understand how that could maybe impact the decision to to sack him. Um, so, listen, the chances are he, we might see some good stuff. We might give a, a new manager bounce if he did come in and Everton could have a decent season. But we both agree that it's not... Not it, the right long term option. Yeah, I think that's it. That's that's the crucial thing. It's it's the whole building for the future mm. and being a sustainable club in, in terms of you know not consistently going up, going through transition. Yeah, the, the, so many football clubs nowadays talk about the whole it's a, it's a, it's a period of transition, but transitioning in new players and new managers and all this stuff, and mm. you have to eventually move away from that cycle. And yeah. You have to eventually have some stability. Yeah, and if Everton was to employ Someone other than uh, someone other than Ancelotti who was in that mould, and even if he did eventually leave or some players left, and and he continued by just recruiting another manager in the same mould, replacing players with players in the same mould mm. in terms of what the styles that they're suited to on the pitch, Everton wouldn't have to go through these consistent periods of transition. But um, getting in Ancelotti, you just you just feel like you know what what's the maximum amount of time you could you could do with Goodison Park because. Maybe three years. What I mean, because you even see that. I, I, I think in two years we, we'd be in this same situation. And I think they would be looking for another manager, potentially a whole new identity, whole new group of players. And this is this is the point we're trying to say about trying to avoid that cycle now. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe he could come in and win an FA Cup, a League Cup, and that would certainly. I mean, I tell you what, the way it's been for Everton over the last 25 years, you'd be a hero. So <laughs> maybe some people are thinking if there's some short-term success, it's worth the long-term heartache. But I don't know. I think if we if, if Everton want to be sustainable, they should be thinking longer term. But I don't think that's going to be the case under this regime. So maybe Ancelotti is the man just to, just to bring in. 
Possibly. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Mm. Um, anyway, before anything happens on that front, we've we've got a big game to look at, and that's Everton away uh, at Manchester United on on Sunday. Um, we've we've actually almost done a whole podcast on Manchester United, haven't we? And the analysing Anfield show before Liverpool played them about six weeks ago. Um, I'm not sure many Everton fans listening would want to go back and watch that, but it's. I'd like to think it's insightful, isn't it? It's, it's objective and insightful, so if you do want a, an idea of how that club's run, go and check it out. But what are your general thoughts on United and under Solskjaer, Josh? Um, I think they've, <laughs> they've recognised the mistakes, yeah. which is huge, but they're still a bit naive in terms of how they're going about things. I think they've realised that regarding recruitment, you can't just sign good players and expect them to do well because they're good. Mm. They have to suit what you're trying to do. You got in Di Maria to play Van Gaal strict mm. football, which was never going to be suited. Mm. And then Mourinho comes in and Mourinho taking over players such as Daily Blint. Yeah. It was just never going to work. And I think United gradually got to the point where they, they recognised the need for what I've just said really that no more transition years things like that constantly moving forwards in one direction they're basically sorry to Go but I was just going to say they're basically Everton but a bit more successful aren't they over the yeah. last five six years they've won the odd trophy but on the whole they've just had multiple systems managers and transitions yeah just too many mistakes regarding recruitment getting in too many managers that were doomed to fail inside three years getting in too many players that weren't suited to, as I said, what they were doing on the pitch and it results in too much turnover. Mm. So this this season, in the summer, you know, they had to just take the hit, if you like, and they got rid of players that weren't so suitable to what they're going to move forward with, which mm. is what Solskjaer's doing. Yeah. Um, you know, restoring the, the fast game that United used to have, I suppose, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, they only signed, they signed Harry Maguire, he signed Daniel James and who's the last one? Someone, someone escapes me there. Uh, Wambasaka. Wambasaka, yeah. Uh, I've got question marks regarding Wambasaka's suitability to what they're trying to do, considering he's a predominantly defensive player and they want to play an offensive game. But he's still a youthful player, of, of course. But it lynch you that the United fans at the moment have the heard that. Uh, <laughs> Wambasaka is certainly the flavour of the month, isn't he? Yeah, um, but yeah. yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying. Um, yeah, I mean they're probably a little bit better than what the league table says. Um, you know, they've got d- good defensive numbers. They've got good underlying attacking numbers, albeit the same as being padded out slightly by eight penalties, which is by far <laughs> the highest in the Premier League. That's incredible. Yeah, I think the the closest behind them is someone like Palace with three. But yeah. eight penalties is high at this stage in the season. Um, so yeah, it has. They've according to XG, the fourth best side. As I said, we have to take that with a pinch of salt because of penalties. But they've got um, the second best XG against behind only Liverpool, which illustrates them as a pretty solid defensive unit. Um, and I think so. Just on. just on that day, they're currently tenth in the t- eight. Fifth in the league for expected goals, but if you remove penalties, they are tenth in the league for yeah. expected goals. There we go. I told you it would be padded out. So they've benefited yeah. a lot. 
unexpected goals numbers from you know getting penalties, which are roughly scored like seventy six percent of the time. So yeah, it's about to score about zero point as you said zero. Yeah, zero point seven seven six. Yeah, so if you've got eight of them, yeah, you know zero point seven six times eight, do the maths, but. That's the boost that they've got. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they, they are a decent side, but there has been certainly elements of luck, specifically the penalties. But they had two huge results um, last week, uh, wins against Tottenham and Manchester City. For me, that doesn't really change much, you know. I know they'll be highly motivated and tails up, but um, I obviously... Look a lot, United soldiers. Josh, we write about them a fair bit for the Manchester Evening News, and what I found is United will always perform well in those games under this management, but they just struggle to break down sides who'll who'll sit back. Yeah, but I think that stems from the place. I mm. think what they're trying to get towards, you know, restoring the old United. If you like, we see that, you know, they're close to their end goal, I suppose. Against teams that are willing to play them, mm. teams that are willing to have a go at them, but against teams that are willing to accept, okay, we are the inferior team today, and United have to break them down. That then, and they sit in the defensive block deep, deep in the field, that clogs the space around Rashford, around Martial, around Daniel James, and it places the space around Wan Bissaka, Fred. McTominay, um, you know, players like that who aren't particularly threatening on no, the ball. Um, not key creative sparks, are they really? No, so the emphasis is on them to create something because Rashford's clogged out the game. Yeah. And he can't. Yeah. I watched a clip of Martial, who I do think is a really good player on the counter, but I watched them against, I think it was against Aston Villa, where they drew two all two weeks ago at Old Trafford, the last home game. And they, they, he just seems incapable of finding any pockets of space. He doesn't seem to have that know-how about him. You know, like the really good players, the top side, they just find the pockets to receive the ball. I don't think United's forwards do that. Um, I think Martial in particular is a bit lazy, Yeah, to be honest. He he has a certain way that he likes to play, and that's obviously on the counter, you know, at pace. He played really well at the Etihad, and that's why. Um, so... If Everton kind of deployed the similar tactics that they did against Chelsea, I actually tipped them to get a result. You know, Josh, I don't know about you. No, I'm the same. Yeah, it's 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 the the exact, particularly the, the changes Ferguson made. Mm. It's the exact. I'm Duncan Ferguson on, yeah. that, on that one. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's the exact type of opponent that United have struggled against this mm. season, breaking down an aggressive defensive block while. You know, trying to prevent counter attacks from materialising, yeah. and you know it maybe it maybe may difficult to do. There'll be an emphasis on United to to actually do something on the ball, yeah. considering that they're at home as well. Um, and it'll be interesting to see whether they're capable. But from from Everton's perspective, just again, thirty percent possession is fine. Yeah. Let them have the ball. When you get the ball, advance up the pitch quickly if you can. And if you can't, don't worry about it. Do it again in five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't just reset every time. Get back into your positions. Wait for your opportunities. I'm pretty sure United will give give Everton plenty. Um, as I said, I'm I'm quietly confident with this. Um, if we go on predictions, I I'll say one one. Um, 
just because if it's a victory, we can revel in that. Uh, and equally, if, if it's a defeat, I don't have too much egg on my face. But just for the reasons I've said and Josh said there, I, I do fancy Everton a little bit in this game. Yeah, it's tricky, this one. I wouldn't I wouldn't divert too much from one one to be honest. Possibly mm. possibly two one Everton. Okay. I'm not sure I'm not sure though. Mm. Depends whether depends whether A Everton's bounce lasts. Yeah. And B whether United take any kind of bounce from the week that they've just had. Yeah. But as I said, it's a different proposition when you're breaking down the team as opposed to when you're going toe to toe with the team. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Just quickly on Everton's bounce, if it does last, because we, we we agree, don't we, that that's what they enjoyed against Chelsea to an extent. You know, if if Everton got results at Old Trafford, would you would you leave Ferguson in for the Leicester Cup game that they have a few days later? It, it just depends on 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 whether they're set on on Ancelotti. To be honest, but one thing I did mean to say actually that I haven't got round to is, I think there'll be plenty of supporters out there. I'm, that glad, I'm, I'm glad you said this. That are now inclined to say. And I know for certain it will have crossed Ken Wright's mind, <laughs> guaranteed. But there'll be a lot out there that are inclined to say, "Just give Ferguson it, give Ferguson the job." Mm. Please don't, because yeah. it, I'm not doubting that he's good at what he does by any means. But once a bounce wears off, you're then reliant on other things to win you games, mm. and you've got to have more than just a bounce. Basically, I agree. And Everton need something a bit more long term. They need to, um, as as we've said in previous episodes, treat a temporary fix as a temporary fix. Don't be led on by results and things like that. Um, so I think what Ferguson did do, he offered a clear insight into what Everton need and what Goodison needs mm-hmm. in terms of the style of play, the aggression, you know, the industry, um, progression from A to B quickly. That style of football, just get someone who's maybe a bit more qualified to impose that game. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, I mean, that's a good good note to end it on, end the show on, because I, I totally agree with Josh. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll wrap it up there. I think you said it perfectly. Um, once again, everyone, thanks for your, your messages, your DMs and stuff. It's, it is great to see that you're really enjoying the show. And um, obviously, if I, I finally had a look at the... Um, listens or amount of listens that the show's been getting and I was pleasantly surprised we both were um, so yeah it's great to see that you're enjoying it um, hopefully it continues um, we'll be back next week talking about United Leicester um, and then Arsenal which comes up so it's a it's a busy period maybe some changes in, in manager as well um, but until then have a great weekend Josh thank you very much no worries, mate. Thanks. Cheers. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.